Warhammer fantasy news, hobby, lore, and more. Welcome to the War Games Orchard with Nathan and GJ. You knew it was bound to happen. This is the War Games Orchard. Welcome to the show. My name is Nathan Stone and I will be your host today. This was inevitable, I suppose. Someday I had to do it. I had to make an episode on the Cold One Nights of the Dark Elves. I've done a lot of these history episodes, but this one feels personal. If you've been listening to the show since the beginning or, or the early days, and uh, kudos if you have, you'll know that I have a love-hate relationship with the Cold One Nights. Specifically, I love them and they hate me. I have never had a unit perform more consistently infuriating on the tabletop than Dark Elf Cold One Nights. It's an idea that I love so much. They're dark elves, they ride giant lizards, what's not to love about these guys? And I take them. It's my own fault that I take them. I take them in every battle in which I play dark elves. And in every battle in which I play dark elves, they find new and interesting ways to let me down. They should be the pallbearers at my funeral. I guarantee you, I have never played a game with Cold One Nights in any edition of Warhammer Fantasy where I have not failed at least one stupidity check. You would think, just on the odds of it, that there would have to be some game where my Cold One Nights just did what I wanted them to do. And that's not the case. That is not the case, let me tell you. Before I get too ranty, because again, if you've listened to this show for a while, you know how Cold One Nights get under my skin a little bit, but I still love them. I still love them, and that's what we're going to try and focus on today, is that love. And we're going to look at them from 3rd edition right on to 8th edition. We're going to talk about how they evolved, how the lore changed, how it grew, and we're going to try not to be too salty. There's no promises here, but we're going to try our best. So without any further ado, let's get right into things. Not everybody needs a hobby. A hobby's supposed to pass the time, not fill it. I did absolutely nothing, and it was everything that I thought it could be. In hobby, I have been working on my undead warband for one-page rules. I've been painting up some skeleton knights. These are the current line of Black Knight models from Games Workshop. Really like that kit, the dual hex knight, black knight kit. It's a really good one. And I've got a handful of them. I think I might have five. Just they were in my bits box from some purchase a million years ago. And I'm using three of them in this warband. I'm going for kind of a sea foam and black scheme to them. A little bit like the 40k Sons of Horus, if that uh, helps you out any. So kind of that that bluish, grayish, greenish color that I'm going to call seafoam, but I'm not sure if that's correct. And black, and I've got a nice brass for the metal bits. The brass I was kind of on the fence about because it's such a warm color. And usually I don't like to mix warms with cools. And the seafoam is a very cool color. Black, of course, you can use with anything. But I think it's working out quite well. I, I've really kind of dirtied and 
corroded the brass. So it's it's not ultra, ultra warm and ultra bright. And I think they're looking pretty good. It's definitely a more modern scheme than I usually go for. And by modern, I mean, it's just it's a little bit more muted. It's not super bright like all of the Hero Hammer miniatures that I paint. I'm hoping to have those done by the weekend because if I can get that done, then I will have some time to play with my father-in-law. I think we're going to go visit them this weekend and uh, get a game or two in, and that would be really, really nice. If nothing else, I've got everything assembled, so some of them just may be base-coated. And you're thinking to yourself, Nathan, didn't you just say there's only five models in this warband? And my response to that would be, I am busy, things are tough, and I am very slow these days when it comes to hobbying. I'm just not, I just don't have that speed anymore. I don't know what it is. Maybe I'm a, a better hobbyist now because I take my time more and, and my models look better. And I, I've certainly gotten better skill-wise, but I don't think I've gotten any faster. Just the opposite, in fact. The other hobby thing that I wanted to mention was, I've been thinking about picking up some models from Black Tree Miniatures. Now, they support the old Harlequin miniatures range from the 90s. This is a fantasy range. Really, really nice. Really got that old hammer feel. Like, some of their stuff could... You could put it in an old Warhammer photograph from, like, 1994 or 1995, and you would have the hardest time picking it out. So they've got some really, really nice stuff, especially for Undead and Skaven and, and some of those factions. And I want to pick them up, but I keep reading interesting reviews saying that people have been waiting a long long time to get their miniatures and sometimes they're just not delivered and that the company's been having a real tough time and it's just it's so sad when you you see that happening because I, I have actually ordered from them before about five years ago and it took a long time to get those miniatures but otherwise you know it wasn't too bad of an experience and, and the miniatures are great but <sighs> It's hard when you want to support kind of these smaller manufacturers and stuff, and then you, you read reviews like that. And so I'm not sure if I should take the plunge and, and order those or if I should be cautious. Because these days, you know, everything's so messed up and things have been taking a long time to ship anyway. And if this is a company that's already got those issues, you know, do you really want to give that a try? But at the same time, I can't get those miniatures anywhere else. Oh, it's so frustrating. I don't know what side of the fence I'm going to fall on on that one, but it's probably just as well because my backlog of miniatures that are unpainted has only decreased by about three or four in the last several, several months. And uh, I really haven't been ordering that much in terms of new miniatures. So I could stand to maybe just paint what I have. But couldn't we all, really? All right, that's enough of hobby. Let's jump into our main topic. Today, we are talking about the Cold One Knights of the Dark Elves. These guys are probably, if not the most iconic Dark Elf unit, they're, they're certainly up there. So many things in the Dark Elf list have counterparts in the High Elf list that you can point to them and say, ah, it's them, but evil, or it's them, but worse. In a lot of cases, things like the Dark Elf Warriors, you know, a Spearman's a Spearman, even though the High Elf ones are better. Or, for example, the Executioners, they're just kind of worse Swordmasters. But the Dark Elf Cold One Riders are unique. The High Elves have a couple of, of horse-based cavalry, and they're, they're a little bit more traditional, right? You've, you've got your Shock Cavalry in, in the Silver Helms and the Dragon Princes. 
And the Dragon Princes are certainly the more elite tanky version of the Silver Helms, but they serve basically the same purpose, right? They don't have anything quite like the Cold One Riders. And at their best, the Cold One Riders can be pretty scary. Because really, you fear the mounts, I think, just about as much as you fear the riders. And sometimes that happens and it's not what should happen. For example, I think I've lost more models to the Bretonian horses than I have to the knights. And I don't know how that works, but it just does somehow. And I'm, I'm sure some of you will have had the same experience as me. But for the cold ones, you can kind of actually understand it since they are basically giant velociraptors. And they were one of the main things that really drew me to the Dark Elf faction back in 5th edition. I was always a big dinosaur kid. Uh, I started with Lizardmen, helped that they were in the starter set, but quickly moved on to other dinosaur-based things. So in this case, the Dark Elves and the fact that they could ride raptors. And I really liked the fact that when Games Workshop showed the models, and this is the, the 4th slash 5th edition models that I'm talking about now, they all had little pennants at the end of their lances. And that really spoke to me because the Lizardmen range for 5th edition was brilliant. But I've always been a real banner guy, even as a kid, right? I wanted to make banners. You can't really do that for Lizardmen. They don't really use banners. They, they have kind of their totems and stuff that they bring into battle. But for the Dark Elves, you could put banners on every single night as in terms of pennants and stuff. Of course, I never did as a kid because I didn't have the skill really to make them. But now my beautiful 5th edition Dark Elves, all of the Cold One Knights that are done, <laughs> have pennants on their lances and i just love the way they look so much i think they're just beautiful models we're going to start today in third edition now i never experienced the dark elf cold one riders in third edition and i'm kind of upset that i didn't and there's a very good reason for that the reason that i am upset is because not only did you have two different choices of cold one knights but they actually seem pretty darn good so let's open the pages of Warhammer Armies 3rd Edition and take a look at our Cold One Riding Boys. In 3rd Edition, we have two options for our Cold Ones. We have Doom Drakes and we have Hell Drakes. Now, a Dark Elf army could take 0 to 40 Doom Drakes and 0 to 20 Hell Drakes, the Hell Drakes being the more elite option. Now, in 3rd Edition, the lore was rather scarce, and we don't get a whole lot, but here is what we do get. So this is for the Helldrakes. Dark Elf nobles who choose to ride the fearful Cold Ones are awesome warriors. They inhale corrosive infusions to deaden their sense of smell so that they may endure the stench of these great lizards. So keep in mind this whole deaden, deadening senses thing. Because later writers would really expand on this. And it kind of goes into some dark places. But in 3rd edition, they, they basically take smelling salts so that they don't have to smell their mounts. Which I, I love as, as the fluff here. The Doom Dregs get far less fluff. These are young riders, yet to attain full mastery over their lizard mounts. That's all we get for the Doom Dregs, unfortunately. Now we're going to start with them for stats. Because they're the less impressive of the two. First up, though, we should talk about the cold ones of third edition these guys are actually quite good firstly you'll notice if you're used to playing 
the later editions, so from, from 6 onwards, these guys are a little bit faster, a little bit uh, meaner than the ones that you might be familiar with. So firstly, they are movement 8, they are weapon skill 3, they are strength 4, toughness 4, initiative 1, and 2 attacks. They don't have any of the other stats, of course, because they are just mounts in this edition, so they don't need things like wounds or leadership, etc., right? They're never going to be separated from their rider. In the same way, the rider for the Doom Drakes uh, does not have a movement value, but he is weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, strength 3, toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 6, 1 attack, leadership 8, intelligence 9, cool 9, and willpower 8. You can take Doom Drakes in units of 5 to 15, and they were 35 points per model base. You are getting a hand weapon and light armor and a shield. Any unit may take crossbows for six points, lances for four points, and one unit may have repeating crossbows for eight points. So what you could do with this unit in the third edition that you could never really do again is that you could kind of make a hybrid of what would later be the Dark Riders in the later eras by having them be this ranged unit. But you can also keep their fighting ability since they're on cold ones who are strength 4 with 2 attacks plus a weapon skill 5 elf. So some interesting options for that unit depending on how you want to play them, what you want to do with them. I really like them a lot. Now with the light armor and shield, you're not getting as good an armor save as you would in later eras from your cold one. So it does kind of make them a bit of a hybrid unit, maybe more of a medium cavalry unit than necessarily the, the heavy shock cavalry that they would become. Now let's talk about the Helldrakes. These guys are very, very similar, and they're actually not that much more expensive than your Doom Drakes. But there's a few important differences. Their stats are Weapon Skill 5, Ballistic Skill 4, Strength 4, Toughness 3, 1 Wound, Initiative 7, 1 Attack, Leadership 8, Intelligence 9, Cool 9, and Willpower 8. So we get that bump in both Strength and Initiative there. They are also 5 to 15 models per unit, but remember you can only have 20 of these guys. They are armed with Hand Weapons. Light armor and shield, so exactly the same as the Doom Drakes. They are 39 points per model, so you are paying 4 extra points per, per model for that upgraded strength and initiative. And their options have changed a little bit from the base unit as well. They may still take crossbows at 6 points or lances at 4 points. One unit may have repeating crossbows at 8 points. And you can take a magical standard for 50 points or a magical instrument for 25 points. So these guys get to break open the magic storehouses a little bit and take some neat gear in that respect. Otherwise, they're just kind of a plus one version of the Doom Drakes. It did mean, however, that if you were an absolute madman and playing a monstrous game, you'd have up to 60 cold one riding knights in your army. The models in third edition for the cold one knights are really interesting. The, the cold ones themselves aren't very big. They seem to be kind of smaller than the horses, and they're a little bit more uh, lizard-like than raptor-like. They're, they're not quite that bipedal, you know, running kind of raptor thing that you would get in 
the later edition models. They they're, look a little bit more plodding. They're, they're very interesting. They're a unit that I would love to get a hold of at some point, just to say that I have all of the versions of Cold One Nights that have come out. But they are ludicrously expensive, so that is not likely to happen. So I don't know about you, but these Cold Ones are sounding pretty darn good in 3rd edition, right? Like everything I've said, we've got the two units, you know, we've got some great options for them. We've got more than, than we would ever get again in terms of just sheer, like, what can they do and, and how can they do it? But, <laughs> and there is a big but, there's always a big but, we got a lot of big buts on this show. The devil is in the rule book, And by that, I mean, if you listen to last week's episode, you'll know that sometimes in third edition, all of the rules aren't always where you want them to be. Some of the rules are hidden in weird places. And for cold ones, oh boy, did they hide a lot of rules in the main rulebook. The main rulebook has kind of a bestiary section towards the back, and, and you'll find cold ones in there. We're going to get into their special rules, uh, which have nine points in third edition, in just a moment. But before we do that, I do want to share with you the first kind of lore of the cold ones, because as much as we're talking about the dark elves here, we're also talking about cold ones. So this is kind of neat. Deep in the subterranean caverns beneath the mountains of the world live the remnants of a mighty reptilian dynasty. At the dawn of time, their animal forebearers ruled the planet, and from them evolved the reptilian races of the lizardmen and troglodytes. With the arrival of the Slan, the climate became warmer and sunlight stronger, conditions which drove the reptilian races into the deepest caverns below ground. As well as the semi-intelligent races of reptiles, numerous primitive reptilian creatures sought refuge below ground. Collectively, these creatures are known as cold ones. There are many types of cold ones, fulfilling the function of cattle, workhorses, and fighting beasts of the lizardmen. Some species of cold ones have been brought above ground and nurtured by other races who would like to use them as beasts of war. However, few warm-blooded creatures can stand the overpowering and nauseous odor they exude. The common riding cold one, equivalent to the horse, is temperamental and requires a great skill on the part of its rider. They are powerful creatures, but rather dim-witted and consequently easily confused. In battle, they are inclined to be indolent until they have tasted blood, needing to be goaded into their first action. So that is some early Cold One fluff. And I bet you didn't know that Cold Ones were a name for numerous species of cave-dwelling lizard, not just the raptors that we know and love. In fact, the next page has Cold One Warhounds, which are kind of the domesticated animals of the Slan. And kind of, well, like big reptilian doggos. So it's pretty cool. It's, uh, it's a really neat part of the older fluff. All right, so on to the rules here. And oh boy, do we have a, a lot of rules. First up, cold ones cause fear in creatures under 10 feet tall. This might sound weird, but it was actually a very common rule in third edition. Apparently, if you were 10 feet tall, you were just afraid of everything. However, if you were over 10 feet tall, you didn't fear anything, really. Not, not much scares someone who is 10 feet tall or above. Nine foot nine, though, ooh, worst height to be. All that height and nothing to show for it. <laughs> 
So cold ones are powerful creatures. Any blows struck by them have a better than average chance of penetrating armor. The enemy's armor saving throw is reduced by minus two if struck by a cold one. Boy, isn't that a rule I wish stayed around. So that was point number two there. And that is such a huge bonus. Ugh, I really wish that had stuck around. Point number three, cold ones are subject to stupidity until they make their first charge of the game. Yep, even back in third edition, can't escape that stupidity. Cold ones are riding animals and must have riders if they are to fight. Yeah, so this is kind of what I was talking about where they have an incomplete profile because they could never be taken in this edition just by themselves. I don't think there is an edition where you would ever field like wild cold ones. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe Storm of Magic. I think you could have summoned some, but that sounds like a bad idea anyway. <laughs> Point five is where it gets weird. I mean, if you didn't already find this weird, it'll get weird here. A player controlling a unit of cold ones must write down his first intention to charge at the beginning of his previous turn. This does not affect his movement that turn, but the unit is compelled to charge in the following turn. Cold ones are dull, indolent creatures and need to be whipped into a fury before they will engage the enemy. Once their enthusiasm is engaged, however, they are almost impossible to stop. If a cold one unit is ready to make its first charge, but there is no enemy within charge reach, the unit will attack the nearest friendly unit. If there are no friendly units within charge reach, the unit divides into two equal halves and fights amongst itself until one half routes or is destroyed. Riders do not have to take part in these battles against friends, though they may do so if they wish. That might be the weirdest paragraph I have ever read in a Warhammer rulebook. And friends, we have read a lot of weird rules over the years. That might be the weirdest. Can you imagine that happening during a game? Your cold one unit separates into two halves and fights each other. That's some straight up orc business right there, right? Like that's a rule that goblins should have had in, in third edition, not elite riders. But that's what you get for taking cold ones. So that was just number five. Number six, cold ones are impossible to bring to heal until their enemy is destroyed or routed out of reach. Cold ones always pursue routing enemies, regardless of the wishes of their controlling player. Number seven, once a cold one unit has been persuaded to make its first charge, it is no longer subject to stupidity and further charges are made in the normal way. However, if a unit spends three whole turns not engaged in combat, the cold one's brain starts to slow down and it becomes subject to stupidity from the fourth turn onwards. If this is allowed to happen, the beast must be whipped into a fury once more to charge, just as if it was the first turn. So I love that you could get your stupidity back if you spent too much time out of combat. Number eight, this is where we get into the smell. Cold ones exude such a disgusting smell that only cold-blooded creatures may normally ride them, lizardmen and slan. Similarly, cold ones are accustomed to the smell of reptiles and unaffected by troglodyte odor. Cold ones will never attack any enemy reptiles because they have this friendly smell. Hand-to-hand -hand combat opponents suffer a minus one to hit penalty when fighting cold ones. Also, awesome rules should have stuck around. Note that slan, although cold-blooded, are not reptiles, as are lizardmen, troglodytes, and other cold ones. A cold one unit fighting amongst itself, see above, is an exception to this rule. Cold ones will not normally accept warm-blooded riders, which includes all of the humanoid and goblinoid races. The exception is dark elves. Dark elves are able to ride cold ones by smothering themselves in the scent of troglodytes. This is obtained by wearing troglodyte skins or using an extract of their odor. However, to do this, 
Dark Elf Cold One riders must inhale a special chemicals to burn out their nasal membranes and destroy their sense of smell and taste. See, it's already getting a little darker, right? With that uh, burning out their nasal membranes. So I love that we get a little bit of lore in this rule set as well, right? It pops up in the weirdest places in the early days. You kind of have to read everything because there's such interesting little lore tidbits that sometimes are hidden in the rules. Finally, the last special rule for Cold Ones. Cold Ones have two attacks, a stomp and a bite. So that is the wild world of Cold Ones in 3rd edition. (laughs) Kind of nuts, huh? You know what? It's everything that I've come to expect when I'm reading 3rd edition rules. They're always way more involved and way sillier than I think they're going to be when I start researching something for this podcast. So the Cold Ones did not let me down. I'd love to know if anyone has played 3rd edition and with Cold Ones and and what the outcome of it was, because this is a lot of extra rules and, and a fair amount of extra bookkeeping and just things to keep in mind. Love the minus one to hit penalty when fighting Cold Ones, and I love the minus two to armor save rule that they had. But unfortunately, it's time to leave 3rd edition with its wackiness and actually maybe worthwhile cold ones. I'm, I'm still uh, jury's out on that one. And travel to a much more familiar land, at least for me. And that is the Hero Hammer era. This is my Dark Elf era. And I have played more games with my Dark Elves in 5th edition than in any preceding or following edition. And I I have some big opinions, which I'm going to try my best to keep to myself because we don't want this to be too long of a podcast. But the Cold Ones are still kind of all right in this edition. They're definitely not as bad as they will get. So Cold Ones get their own entry in the Dark Elf Bestiary in 4th edition. And the Cold One Knights really don't get much more than they got in 3rd edition. So I'm going to read to you the lore for Cold Ones here because it does deviate from that 3rd edition lore and also expands on it as well. Cold Ones are ancient green-skinned reptiles that live in the dark caves and tunnels in the mountains beneath Hag Graf. Cold Ones are extremely stubborn beasts and not at all intelligent. Their cold flesh is almost immune to pain and their bodies exude poisonous slime. Dark Elves can withstand small quantities of this slime and tiny amounts are used to make the poisons and other intoxicating brews used by assassins and witch elves. Other races succumb much more readily to the poison, and creatures fighting cold ones are as likely to be overwhelmed by this as killed by the cold one's brutish claws or razor-sharp teeth. Cold ones can be broken to the saddle and ridden to war. So, again, less than we got in 3rd edition in terms of lore on the cold ones themselves, but it builds on a little bit, we get the little bit that ties them into the assassins and the witch elves. It's always nice when one part of the lore sort of supports another part of the lore. Now, their special rules have been dialed back, thank goodness, in this edition. They cause fear, which is great, and now to everything, not just things under 10 feet tall, because that rule thankfully passed into legend. They are subject to stupidity, until they have fought a round of hand-to-hand combat, in which case they can act normally. So this is much better than the third edition rule, where they could lose their stupidity and gain it back again if you didn't spend enough time in combat. 
It's just nice to not have to worry about that. And finally, they have their saving role. And so this kind of replaces the two rules that we got in third edition that were more offensive in nature. And that sweet, sweet minus one to hit in combat, unfortunately, is gone. But cold ones now give you plus two to your save rather than plus one for other as of other cavalry mounts. And this is going to stay with them throughout the remainder of the lifespan of Warhammer Fantasy. Would I rather have the minus to enemy armor saves and the minus one to hit in melee? I think I would, yes. But this is what we got. Stat line wise, they're still pretty good in fourth ed here. Still movement eight, weapon skill three, strength four, toughness four, one wound, initiative one, two attacks, and leadership three. I've never liked initiative one. I understand it because cold ones, sluggish, that kind of thing. I think though once they get into combat, they should be faster than that. And I know mounts generally don't get high initiative, but maybe two, I don't know, three would have been nice. Uh, that leadership of three is, you're never going to use it, but it's not great. In terms of fielding them in your army, the Cold One Knights of 4th Edition are going to set you back here. They are 38 points per model, and they don't get a lot in terms of lore here. We get Cold One Knights are mighty champions who have dedicated their lives to Cain, god of murder. Although few in number, these cold-hearted killers are amongst the most deadly troops in the Dark Elf army. So that's pretty mediocre lore as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it's not even a paragraph. It's like two sentences. So, hey, what are you going to do? But let's look at the knight themselves. We've already looked at the cold ones, so we know what they can do. The knight is pretty good. Movement 5, weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, strength 3, toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 7, 1 attack, and leadership 8. So a couple glaring things here. Weapon skill 5 stuck around. Love that. Wish the strength 4 had stuck around, but it didn't. Leadership 8 is not good enough. <laughs> I'm sorry, it is not good enough. Now, whenever I run Cold One Knights, which is always, as I mentioned before, I always put a hero, either my lord or a minor hero or something in this unit because Leadership 8 is not good enough when you're testing, at least for the first probably two turns, for stupidity. It's actually really easy to have them do nothing for a turn. Trust me, happens every game. Like, Leadership 8 sounds respectable too, right? You, you should feel like that shouldn't be a problem, but it is. It's, it's not good. So, equipment-wise, Cold One Knights are mounted on Cold Ones. Who would have thought? They're armed with a sword, heavy armor, and shield. So, much like their third-ed counterparts, except in the case of heavy armor instead of light armor. There's a trade-off for this, of course, where a light armor, or heavy armor and shield gives you minus one to movement. So your cold ones are only moving seven inches, but considering cold ones are kind of going to lose that point of movement soon, you know, it, it doesn't break my heart too much. Seven is still respectable. It's when knights in fifth edition had to move six inches that it was really tough, right? So if your horse had or your mount had barding, that was a further minus one to movement. So a lot of empire knights, for example, had movement six, which for cavalry, you're thinking, wow, this isn't really much more than regular infantry right because if you're going against elves or skaven or something something with that movement of five or even god forbid just natural movement six which some infantry units had your cavalry didn't really feel like cavalry right it was it was hard to get those charges but seven inches still respectable as far as i am concerned 
Options-wise, these knights have lances at four points per model. Any regiments may be armed with repeating crossbows at the cost of six points per model. And any regiment may carry a magical standard chosen from the appropriate magic item cards and the cost indicated on the card. A couple of points here. Firstly, I always forget they can take repeating crossbows in 4th edition. That's kind of nice. They're Ballistic Seal 4 and they're always going to be moving, which is what it is. <laughs> so your, your chances to use them are limited and they're not cheap at 6 points per model. For even for that minimum five man unit, uh, 30 points, you can probably spend 30 points elsewhere with a better return. Does give you some insurance if you fail that stupidity test that you can do something, even if it's just, you know, 10 crossbow shots. Personally, though, I wanted to mention the magic standard. There is a 10-point magic standard, I believe called the Standard of Blood, that you can take in at least 5th edition, may have been around in 4th edition as well, that knocked out the stupidity for your cold ones. They just didn't suffer from stupidity anymore. Honestly, unless you have something better as far as a banner to put on them, you have some kind of plan for them and you need a certain banner, just spend the 10 points and buy that banner. If you're luckier than I am, maybe you'll never need it in a game. For me, that's an auto-include. It's an auto-include. I, I can't imagine not taking it. The problem is, though, that you're going to give these guys lances, right? So then they're 42 points per model. If you give them a standard, you have to pay for the standard bearer, who's an additional, I think, half again as expensive as that. So, like, 18, 19 points plus the standard. This is a really expensive unit that has some upside, right? The Their weapon skill 5, lances on the charge, strength 5, weapon skill 5. Only one attack, though. Cold ones have two attacks at strength 4, but their weapon skill 3. It's just really hard to get back what you put into this unit. And that's going to be a theme for cold one nights, unfortunately, going forward. They're so cool in concept but they just need to be better or cheaper. And we're going to see that continue on. That's about it for the Hero Hammer era Cold One Nights. Uh, one kind of interesting note, if you're not familiar with the Hero Hammer era, the Witch King of Nagaroth made his debut in 4th edition, and he never had his sweet dragon, Seraphon. In 4th edition, he actually had a chariot drawn by two cold ones. It was the only chariot in the Dark Elf army list. And uh, it was a really, really neat idea. And it, it's, it's got an accompanying piece of art, which is super fun. It's a, it's a great looking piece. And probably the only time where you actually see Malekith's face in any art. From any edition, I think. So if you haven't looked that up, Check that out. Just like Google Malekith on Chariot and uh, and see how he does. You know what the funniest thing you could do in a Hero Hammer game with Malekith? Because Malekith is a very expensive guy, especially if you give him all of his stuff, right? So he starts out at 350 points, but then you're looking at over another 350 points worth of war gears or somewhere around 700 points. Fail your stupidity check on your cold one chariot that pulls him 
just do it. It'll be really funny. I would do it. I, I That's exactly what would happen if I ever took Malekith is I would immediately fail that. And like, I would just have to be like, okay, I deserve this. I deserve this because what else did I think was going to happen? Now, Malekith is leadership 10, as he should be, but there's still that chance. There's still that chance and you know what's going to happen. All right, let's let's stop this foolishness and go to 6th edition. So 6th edition changes a lot. As I say, oftentimes it was the great reset for Warhammer Fantasy. And with that, the books changed quite a bit as well. So this is the first time where we fail to get an entry for Cold Ones themselves. So they are just kind of popped in with the night. But we do gain something really cool in that we gain the normal Cold One chariots. Uh, Malekith, of course, took to riding a dragon. So then he decided, hey, everyone can have these chariots. I don't actually like them. The Cold Ones never get me anywhere, which was a fair criticism for him to have. We're going to start off with the lore in this one. And this is, again, just a little bit of a evolution. The nobles of the Druchi ride to battle atop ancient reptiles known as Cold Ones. Only very few of us can take up the arms of the Cold One Knights, for the lizards savagely attack all who come near them, recognizing warm-blooded creatures by their smell. To avoid this, the Cold One Knights anoint themselves with the poisonous slime of the Cold Ones, so that the beasts will accept them. There is a great price to pay, though, for the poison numbs the senses, so that the riders can no longer taste food or feel a touch. But it is a price worth paying, for the charge of the Cold One Cavalry can shatter even the strongest enemy line. A fully armed and armored Cold One Knight carries a long lance known as a Caton, parentheses, Soul Eater, wears a reinforced helm and full-length armor, and on his arm is slung a shield carrying the device of his house. Though they are few in number, the charge of the Cold One Knights is a decisive weapon, which can win you the battle at a crucial moment. Now. When you hear only very few of us, I haven't decided that I am a dark elf. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not losing my mind or anything. Uh, this book was written from a dark elf perspective, which I really like, actually. And that is why that the lore is, is the way it's written. Now, some interesting parts to this. Of course, we, we get that poisonous slime referenced again that was originally referenced in third ed. But now the, the price is greater. Again, so no longer taste food or feel a touch. So that is that is significant, right? So you've lost basically three senses at this point. You can't smell, you can't taste, and you can't feel touch. And I think this is really interesting in the lore because elves especially are very hypersensitive, right? Everything that humans do, elves do it plus two or three. So this is a great cost for an elf to do this. I just wish that the in-game effect was a little bit greater. If they had given them some kind of almost feel no pain, to borrow a phrase from 40k, right? Where they had maybe a save after a save, like a little ward save to just mention the fact that, hey, these dark elves aren't feeling pain, right? You, you stab one, it's... You know, it might kill him later, but right now he's just made him more angry, right? Wouldn't that have been so neat if they had gotten maybe a five-up ward save, right? They could have been a really tanky type of cavalry, which would have given them a little bit more of a, a place. 
Now, the sixth edition Dark Elf book is pretty legendarily bad. It wasn't a good book. They had to correct it in White Dwarf by giving them basically an errata, an update that boosted some of their, their units. The Cold One Knights were amongst those. I'm going to, we're going to share the original first because it, they don't really change that much. I think their points might have changed. The big change, though, is that their leadership got a bump. But, but here is how they appeared in the book. They are Movement 5, Weapon Skill 5, Ballistic Skill 4, Strength 3, Toughness 3, 1 Wound, Initiative 5, 1 Attack, and Leadership 8. The Champion gets 2 attacks, and he's called a Dread Knight. The Cold One in this edition took a hit. Firstly, lost a point of movement to Movement 7. However, he's still going that 7 inches because the rule about heavy armor and shield inhibiting movement is gone in 6th edition. And of course, cold ones never have barding, so he's never going to lose the point there. So really, they're moving about the same as they did in 4th edition, but not as fast as they would have moved in 3rd edition. The other big thing to note is that while he remains strength 4, toughness 4, and he gains 2 points of initiative to initiative 3, which I really like, big thumbs up there, they lose an attack down to one attack and leadership three. Never going to use the mount's leadership, so that's not a problem. The one attack hurts a lot, right? These are supposed to be elite. This is These dark elves have given up three of their five senses to ride these dumb lizards, and you're only going to give them one attack. And yes, I know everything lost attacks going to sixth edition, or mostly everything. These guys didn't need it. They did not need it. Cold ones weren't that great. In special rules, this is mostly cold one special rules since the riders themselves don't have any. Uh, they cause fear, which is great. Arguably even better in 6th edition than it was in 4th and 5th. They're subject to stupidity. I mean, I probably should just skim over that now. We, we know that's not changing. Uh, really hard with that leadership of 8. Thick-skinned gives them that lovely plus 2 to armor save instead of the normal plus 1 for being mounted. So this is going to be kind of the trifecta of special rules for the cold ones going forward. As I mentioned, not too much going to change there. In 6th edition, cold one knights fall under the special units section. They have gone down actually a significant points decrease to 29 points per model. And they'll kind of live in this area for the next little while. They have a lance, a hand weapon, and a heavy armor and shield. You can upgrade one to a musician for 9 points, one to a standard bearer for 18 points, and that standard bearer may carry a magic standard worth up to 50 points, and you can promote one knight to a dread knight for 18 points. The only other special rule that they gain is that the riders hate high elves, and you have to take them in units of 5+. plus. These guys, when they went up to leadership 9 after the errata, got a little bit better. They're certainly a lot cheaper than they were in 5th edition. And, you know, Weapon Skill 5, still great. Initiative 5, still great. They, they did lose two points of initiative, but that Initiative 7 was a little bit superfluous anyway. They're still very, very fast. They're not a terrible unit. They're just not good enough. And honestly, you could say that about this entire book, is it's just not good enough. But let's move on to an era that was a little bit kinder to our dark kin. 
and that is 7th edition. Now, 7th edition gives us a few little changes that make some big differences, I think. And like the last time, we are going to share the lore for this one because, again, it just keeps building up, which is really nice. Considered by many to be the most fearsome of all the Dark Elves' dreaded warriors, the Cold One Knights form a devastating shock elite. The skill of the knights and viciousness of their mounts sets them above the cavalry of lesser races. They are often found at the forefront of the attack, smashing into the enemy's most deadly regiments. It is a daring dark elf who purchases a cold one to ride, for the lizards savagely attack all who come near them, recognizing warm-blooded creatures by their smell. This is dangerous in itself, and no few strutting nobles have been savaged by their own mounts, much to the amusement of their rivals. To avoid this, the Dark Elf must anoint himself repeatedly with the foul-smelling slime of the Cold Ones, so that the beasts will accept him. There is a great price to pay for the Dark Elf, though, for the fumes of this noxious balm are extremely potent, burning the nostrils, numbing the skin, and destroying the taste buds, so that the rider can no longer smell or taste food or feel the touch of a lover. So it is that a Cold One is both a fearsome war mount and also a declaration of bravery and ambition on the part of the knight. For many Dark Elves, this heavy price is considered one worth paying. For in doing so, a warrior proves his dedication to the Witch King, and can earn great political as well as physical reward. A fully armed and armored Cold One Knight carries a long lance known as a Ketai, or a Soul Eater. His mount is protected by layers of scaled skin and tears apart its victims with curved claws and dagger-like fangs. Cold ones are dim-witted in the extreme, however, and even when broken for a rider, are notoriously truculent. To master such a beast requires not only skill, but also physical strength and immense willpower. Though they are few in number, the ferocity of Cold One Knights is such a decisive weapon that they can win a hard-fought battle with a single devastating charge. So again, we get a little bit more this time. Feel the touch of a lover. That's a tough one, right? So in 6th edition, we learned that, yeah, you know, you can't feel touch. But that, that's a very specific kind of thing they're talking about there. And it just makes it all the more real and nasty what these Dark Elves give up to ride these cold ones. In terms of profile, we do get an important couple changes here. So the Cold One Knight is movement 5, weapon skill 5, ballistic skill 4, strength 4, toughness 3, 1 wound, initiative 6, 1 attack, and leadership 9. A dread knight, the champions, uh, just have the bonus attack. And the cold one in this edition is movement 7, weapon skill 3, strength 4, toughness 4, 1 wound, initiative 2, 1 attack, and leadership 3. So the trade-off in this edition is that the cold one loses an initiative, goes down to two, and the Cold One Knight both gains an initiative and gains a point of strength. Special rules-wise, the model has Eternal Hatred, which was the Dark Elf universal special rule of 7th edition, Fear, and Stupidity. They also have their wonderful thick-skinned rule. There's a lot of things in this 7th edition book that I like a lot when it comes to the Cold One Riders. That point of strength makes them feel more elite than they have in the past, right? You get strength six on the charge. Now you're putting some fear into people. And I love that so much. In terms of points 
you're going to pay 27 base for a cold one night. So again, a little bit cheaper, not the big drop that we saw between 4th and 6th, but still nice to, to see that come down a little bit. They are equipped with a hand weapon, lance, heavy armor, and shield. You can buy a Dread Knight for 16 points, a Musician for 8 points, upgrade to a Standard Bearer for 16 points, and that Standard may be up to 50 points. And the Dread Knight, as befits his station, can take a Magic Item to a total of 25 points. So this is a really not terrible spot for our Cold One Knights. What would have, I think, put them over the top and made them more valuable for, for your points and maybe put a little bit more fear into your enemy. And this goes for pretty much every iteration of the Cold One Knight. If they had allowed us to use the Mount's toughness of four instead of the Elf's toughness is three. The difference between tough four and tough three, especially in Warhammer Fantasy, is a pretty large gap. And in the lore where they are immune to pain, they're on a giant lizard that is the size of a horse. The idea that they are still toughness three just makes no sense to me. And I don't think it would have taken them out of balance. I, I think it probably would have improved their balance. If anything, it would have made them more worth their still quite hefty points total. Now that eternal hatred in seventh edition really gives them a boost as well. All models with that rule hate all opposing models, which is a great rule especially for Dark Elves. They just, they just hate everybody. And, of course, they super hated the High Elves, so they always re-rolled misses against them. For the Cold One Knights, where you're relying on the charge, you're relying on two fairly beefy attacks, one at Strength 6, one at Strength 4, Eternal Hatred was a godsend to this unit. And it's the type of thing where it's almost a, a, a no-brainer, right? Like, you you see this unit that relies on one really, really good attack, hopefully to break your enemy at weapon skill five. You're usually hitting on threes. Hitting on threes is still a lot of room for error there, but you get that reroll and things start to get a little bit more reliable. So it's, uh, it's about as good a place as we've found our Cold One Knights to this point. And I don't know if I mentioned, but they are still in special there. And they are base leadership nine, which is just, yeah, if you're going to make me roll stupidity tests every turn, at least give me leadership nine. All right, we've just about come to the end of things, but we still have the ultimate, the final eighth edition. So let's crack that open and see where our cold one nights end up. Unlike our other editions, I'm not going to go through the lore of 8th edition because it doesn't give us enough new material here to make it worthwhile, unfortunately. There's a little bit new on the knights themselves, but it's most just self-aggrandizement in terms of how elite they are and how fancy their gear is and stuff. It's just not really all that interesting. What is interesting, though, is some of the changes that we get to our knights. So statline-wise, the Cold One Knights remain the same as they are in 7th edition, which is a good statline. It's, it's certainly not terrible. The Cold One, however, sees another change, and that is it gets its second attack back. Woo! We haven't seen that since 4th edition, so it's really nice to see that in 8th. 8th really upped the power level for a lot of things, though, so... 
you kind of had to improve just to stand still in 8th edition. And that's kind of what Cold One Nights did. In terms of special rules, they have Always Strikes First for Riders Only, of course, which was the Elf Universal Special Rule, which was... I, I hated that it was three armies had this Always Strikes First Special Rule. Really made initiative not much of a factor. They had Fear, of course, Hatred High Elves, which again is Riders Only, Murderous Prowess, and Stupidity, and then finally Thick Skinned. Now, among the new things here, Murderous Prowess replaces Eternal Hatred. There's still a few units in this book that get Eternal Hatred, but it's sort of few and far between, which is really unfortunate because Murderous Prowess is in no way, shape, or form as good as Eternal Hatred was. Murderous Prowess allows you to re-roll Missed Wounds, and only a Missed Wound roll of one. So compare that to re-rolling Failed Hits, and you'll see, yeah, these two things are not at all equal, especially for the Cold One Knights, who really don't struggle to wound. They've got two or three in this edition good attacks at one strength six, probably going to wound anything on a two, and strength four wounding on threes or fours, which again, not bad. And it's not that murderous prowess isn't useful at all in those situations. You're always going to roll that one somewhere. But considering they need more help hitting, especially the cold ones, right, with that weapon skill to three, and the fact that the Dark Elves only have that one attack to make their mark. I am not a big fan of that. In terms of adding them to your army, the Cold One Knights of Aeth are still special units, but they have gone up to 30 points per model, so up by three. They are equipped with all of the things you think they are going to be equipped with, The Dread Knight has come down in points to just 10, the Musician is 10, and the Standard Bearer is 10, making the math a lot easier than in previous editions, and they can still take that Magic Standard up to 50 points. Unfortunately, this is the type of unit that is usable in 8th edition. You can put a hero in there to up the killing factor. They can do work, but they won't blow you away. Or, unfortunately, they won't blow away your opponent's troops a lot of the time. They're shock cavalry in an age of monstrous cavalry, which kind of took over the reins as shock cavalry by 8th edition. So they're they're kind of in this point where they're still kind of expensive, and they hit kind of hard, but you look at some of the other things that were in the game by this point, the Mornfang cavalry, Blood Knights, the... Skull Crushers, the Blood Crushers, and you start looking at how powerful those were with the stomp attacks and everything. Shock Cavalry kind of lost its luster, at least for me, because I found that they were probably 60 to 70% of the cost of the Monstrous Cavalry, but the Monstrous Cavalry just did so much more work and had so many more attacks. Cold One Knights, I think to kind of put a bow on it, are cool enough that you want to take them. And they're good enough that they'll convince you that this time will be different. This time it will work. This time your grand battle strategy will pay off. The Cold One Knights will roll up the enemy's flanks or just tear through the middle with their sweet raptor claws. 
but they're just bad enough that it never really works out. It's a frustrating unit that I'm still going to play until the end of time, or until I die, whichever comes first. And I'm not super sad about that, but I do hope that if we ever get Warhammer the Old World, it gives me at least one addition where Cold One Nights are an auto-include. Make them too good. Just, just for a little while. You can nerf them after, I don't know, six months. Just give me a couple games with them, please. Please. All I want. To close things off, too, I will say that they have had some really interesting models over the years. The Hero Hammer era models are, are definitely my favorite. They've got the big metal cold ones that kind of look like hornier versions of the raptors from Jurassic Park. And I mean that in the sense that they are covered in little horns. Don't get other ideas about that. And though they don't really have terrible models in any of the editions, the third ones are, are really odd and they're very different looking. They look like a whole different type of animal, but they're still kind of cool in their own way. The worst ones are probably the sixth edition ones. And that's not on the strength of the knights. The knights look incredible. The cold ones, though, look very dopey. But they fixed that when the 7th edition ones came out, and those cold ones are sleek, they look dangerous, they look great. It's such a good-looking unit. Even to this day, it holds up really, really well. And it does make you want to have a whole bunch of them. Do not do that. <laughs> yeah, I love this unit. I do. It's, it's a great unit, and someday, maybe, it will be better. I think that's about going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, have a great week. Thanks for listening. You can connect with us on Instagram or email us at wargamesorchard at gmail.com. And don't forget to join us on Facebook at The Warhammer Orchard. The time of mortals has come to an end.